Welcome to the monthly View from the Edge for September 2023. I'm Fritz Foltz, the Chief Investment Strategist here at 3Edge. Joining me here once again today is Eric Beagleisen, Director of Investment Research and Deputy Chief Investment Officer here at 3Edge Asset Management. As we do at the beginning of each month, Eric and I will provide our firm's most recent outlook for the global capital markets, which is based on our proprietary 3Edge research model. Before we get to that, we'll take a quick look back at the global capital markets in August. And equity markets struggled last month in the face of rising bond yields, with the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield at one point reaching its highest level since 2007. In the most recent report on U.S. inflation, both headline and core inflation, which extracts out food and energy, were softer than anticipated. However, inflation remains well above the Fed's purported 2% target. In August, we also received reports on the conditions in the U.S. labor markets, and although the job market in the U.S. remains strong, there were signs of softening. Labor market participation increased, which simply means more people are looking for work. Job openings declined, falling to the lowest level since March of 2021, and the unemployment rate rose from 3.5 to 3.8%. So all in all, the economic reports in August, I would say, were mixed, which has, has it's been for a long time now, leaves all of us contemplating whether the Fed will need to raise rates again in 2023 or not. Uh, I think, Eric, you agree with me that consensus now is about evenly split as to whether they'll need to raise rates again this year. That's right. And then just one more thing before we get to the to Eric, and that is that one sort of recent fly in the ointment, if you will, in the Fed's efforts to bring down inflation is the price of oil, which recently touched over $90 a barrel. So with that as the backdrop, let me bring Eric into the conversation and we will review our asset class matrix and what may have changed. And it looks like more circles and no arrows. So, yeah, yeah, uh, definitely no, no movements here, no arrows on this chart. So we're as a, for a second month in a row, I believe here, we're, we're leaving sure. the asset class matrix as is still a fairly negative outlook on most equities with the one exception being developed Asia, in particular Japan. Uh, which we still find attractive, and, and we'll no doubt talk about that. But the outlook uh, in fixed income and real assets, really very similar. We still maintain a, a good uh, amount of short fixed income in cash, serving as dry powder uh, for, for opportunities that may lay ahead. Excellent. All right. So let's dig deeper into the major asset classes, and we'll begin with U.S. equities, which, as I mentioned, struggled somewhat in August. Yeah, well, it was a tough month all around for for most asset classes, actually, in August. Um, the U.S. was down uh, more than one and a half percent. The model research continues to indicate that uh, this is not a normal time for U.S. equity markets. We've, we've talked about the overvalued nature of U.S. equity markets. It is on par with uh, just before the crash of 1929 and the bursting of the tech stock bubble in 2000, just as a reminder to folks. I know we've been saying it for quite some time, but we the overvaluation is is it is um, at, at, at from a historic perspective, uh, it's it's relevant and, and important uh, as we look forward and in, in thinking about investments here. The Treasury yield curve remains significantly inverted uh, in the manner in which we we measure it, um, and the full impact of the Fed's monetary tightening policy may still not have um, really manifested yet and may lay ahead. Um, 
you know, the, the inverted yield curve measure does have a strong track record of signaling future economic weakness and the potential for a recession. So, you know, the outlook for U.S. equities remains negative. Excellent. All right. So let's talk about the Japanese equity markets where we saw, as you mentioned, I think, relative outperformance from Japanese equities and even maybe positive performance from the hedged yeah. uh, Japanese equities. Exactly. What's the model saying? Yeah, yeah. Japanese equities uh, outperformed most other developed market equities in August, but they were still negative on an unhedged basis. But the currency hedge, as you alluded to, uh, which protect investors from the decline in the Japanese yen, actually did eke out a small positive gain for the month on the heels of that weakening yen. The yen remains under pressure from um, the higher interest rates outside of Japan, uh, leading to that that currency uh, weakness there, the so-called carry trade that, that many um, take part in. In August, a report indicated that the Japanese economic uh, growth, it surprised to the upside for the second quarter, it uh, increased at an annualized rate of 6%. Um, so that's that that's all good stuff for the for the region. The weakness in the yen, um, and it is at its weakest level versus the dollar since late 2022, you know, aided in this solid economic growth, which helped the Japanese exporting companies in particular. Um, you know, we still remain cautious on the hedged versus unhedged debate. While we, we have good reason to believe that the yen can stay weak given the interest rate, the, the global monetary policy environment, the timing and the size of any kind of tightening by the Bank of Japan could lead to a sharp strengthening of the yen, which we saw briefly in uh, uh, in recent months um, that, that turned uh, right around after the Bank of Japan didn't do such a tightening move. So it's something to be cautious about, which is why uh, we, we remain um, you know, positive on both the hedged and unhedged but at the same time to kind of mitigate the, the risk one way or the other with the yen. So overall, though, with Japanese equities remaining positive. Excellent. All right. So now we'll shift gears and we'll look towards Europe, which has really been facing challenges uh, recently with elevated inflation, slowing economy in the eurozone. So what's the model indicating there? Yeah, picking up on both of those, the stubbornly elevated inflation, the slow growth prospects in the eurozone, we saw European equities decline by almost 5% in August. Uh, so, you know, not looking great. The ECB is still expected, that is the European Central Bank, still expected to lift rates in September. So, you know, I think in the shorter term, for, sh for sure, uh, not, not finding European equities uh, particularly attractive, you know. There's a there's a balancing act here that the ECB's got to play because there's a good chance that GDP in Q3 will be negative. Uh, so don't envy the position uh, that that they are in to deal with that situation. Short term outlook remains negative. All right, all right. Now let's take a look at China, and they really struggled in August. Right, their economy is showing real signs of slowing. And obviously, the property sector in China is really taking it on the chin. So what are we seeing there in terms of the model? One thing I would add that I read in a report recently was that in the month of August, I believe, maybe foreign investors took out approximately $10 billion out of the Chinese equity market. So what's the model saying for the, the outlook for China? Yeah, uh, I every, agree with every, every point you just made there. China suffered steep declines in August, down almost 10%. Um, you know, in the face of this struggling economy, um, there was this, you know, this endless stream of negative news about the property sector, uh, major real right. estate developers, you know, felt like hours away from defaulting on their debt. Uh, you know, this hope for restart 
but of the Chinese econ economy coming out of COVID just really never manifested. And so the economy's uh, debt to GDP ratio continues to rise. So this isn't a great recipe for you know, uh, attracting capital to the region. The Chinese government has taken a few steps to prop up the real estate sector and try to stimulate, but they're real drips and drabs. This is not the bazooka type of stimulus that's really going to, you know, get investors excited about uh, reinvesting in a region. So until we see that, uh, maybe maybe tough to to anticipate any kind of positive uh, sentiment or news coming out of out of China, uh, and that that no doubt has negative impl implications for global growth. Uh, sure. So so the outlook here is is negative. Yeah. All right. Uh, so I think the last of the asset classes, uh, equity asset classes, that is, it's going to be India, which engineered a successful moon landing in August, which which was exciting. But what is the model telling us about the uh, outlook for the India equity market? Yeah, yeah. The, the yield curve we construct for India uh, has been inverted by our measure, though it may be on this path to re-steepening. I think we've mentioned that in the last month or so. So we're, we're uh, it, you know, we, it could be that in the next month, the month or two into the future, we may see this become a net positive uh, factor, which could ultimately turn the whole projection for the region positive. You know, the, the Reserve Bank of India's attempts to reduce inflation through rate increases has been somewhat successful. So we think there's there could be a path to to prosperity here. Um, but at currently, valuations remain uncompelling and shorter term, not quite there. All right. Do you mind if I go back to China and equities there? Because I forgot to bring up a point. When you said that the Chinese equity market had declined by somewhere around 10%, I know that in the past, the model has done a pretty good job of picking up, particularly in China, when the equities there get oversold. Yeah. Um, are we... Is, is that near that or we got a ways to go? Yeah, nearing, I, I looked at that recently, another 6% or so from at least a, a couple of days ago would put us into that oversold territory. And the model does have a good um, you know, history of, of nailing those turning points. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, thank you for that. All right. So now we will really shift gears and we'll look at the bond market beginning with the treasury market. And you know, we saw interest rates or yields on treasuries tick up fairly dramatically and it was sort of this all the way from the two-year out to the 30-year, and in what is, I think, referred to oftentimes as a bear steepening, where you get longer-term yields uh, going up. So what are we seeing there in terms of interest rates and the treasury market? Yeah, most, most U.S. fixed-income assets did end lower in August, uh, as, you, as you alluded to, due to the yields climbing. And as a reminder, right, higher yields equates to lower yeah. bond prices. You know, yeah. at one point, and you talked about the ten-year reaching a high. It was four point three four percent, right? Its highest, its highest level since two thousand seven, um, and yields are pushing higher um, as investors see signs that the economy maybe is being resilient um, in the U.S. And this may lead the Fed to, you know, to keep interest rates higher for longer to combat inflation, which has come down, but not to the Fed's two percent target. And quite frankly, the consensus for the uh, the August reading that's due out shortly this month is is for yet another rise in CPI. So we may not be out of the woods just yet, uh, and yields may stay higher for longer. You know, also weighing on U.S. Treasury yields is the government's large funding requirements. You know, which yeah. mean an increase in issuance of U.S. Treasury yields. Another reason why yields may stay higher or even go higher than where they currently are. So. You know, in the face of all of that, we just continue to favor shorter term U.S. Treasury instruments. They're earning an attractive yield, relatively low, if not, if no credit risk, depending on how you, you measure that for the U.S. government and service is great dry powder for, for opportunities ahead. All right. I have a follow up for that. 
And that is real yields, because I think real yields have really gone up. And so maybe you could just explain that real quickly, because that is really important to think about. Yeah, the real yields we, we really focus in on as it pertains more to real assets, commodities and gold. Mm-hmm. But we have seen a, sh- a dramatic rise in real yields. I mean, from the beginning of 2022, real yields were at minus 110 basis points, and they're now at positive 200. So that's a right. almost 300 basis point swing in real yields. And a rising real yield is good for the dollar. It's good for paper assets like bonds traditionally but not necessarily uh, tips, not necessarily gold, not necessarily commodities. Um, so it could be that, that they, they, they've topped out at 2% and we may see them right. even trend sideways, which makes an attractive, now, now that could be an attractive time to get into a tip bond. Uh, and or if they start to decline, that could be an attractive time as well for inflation protected bonds. Excellent. Thank you for that. And that is a perfect segue to shift into the real asset category. Why don't we start with gold? Yeah. Yeah. Well, gold, gold prices finished lower, just like equities in August. This was a really tough month all around. The real yields did move higher. The dollar strengthened. Uh, and these are negative factors for gold. Um, you know, the, that long-term outlook for gold, and we've been saying this for some time, it's almost becoming the long-term that we've been talking about, but we do have a positive outlook longer term for gold. Um, mm-hmm. We think it's a better hedge. Uh, than bonds against a potential downturn uh, if one manifests in the equity markets. Gold's ability to not sell off even further in the face of rising yields and the strengthening dollar. One could view that as a positive, that there's almost this embedded uh, implicit floor there. Um, That said, the shorter term, because of some of the the movements we've seen that we just discussed in the dollar and the the real yield rise, um, the outlook shorter term is a bit more cautious. All right. And then staying in the real asset category, let's look at commodities. And obviously, I mentioned earlier, the spike in the the price of oil doesn't help the Fed, I think, in terms of reigning in inflation. But what's the model saying about commodities? That's right. That's right. The price of oil rose. That's right. You referenced over $90 a barrel uh, as supply remains tight. And that's largely due to the production cutbacks from OPEC Plus, and that's including the cuts by Saudi Arabia and Russia. You know, so any advance here uh, in commodities is likely due to supply constraints rather than being demand driven, right, for future expected growth. Economic weakness from China in particular, but other major countries could eventually just reduce demand further for oil and other commodities going forward, all of which, you know, signal to be cautious on commodities for the time being. All right. Great. Well, I think that is a wrap. Thank you for providing the update on our investment outlook as we enter the last four months of 2023. And I do think one interesting thing about the outlook that you provide every month is the fact that it cuts across asset classes and geographies. You know, it's not just, oh, what's your outlook for the U.S. stock market? It's it's a very much more robust, comprehensive outlook. So thank you uh, for doing that. And as I said at the beginning, and it still feels like this to me, it's the Fed's world, and we're just all living in it, waiting to see, uh, you know, what they do at every policy meeting. So it looks like that will continue for the rest of this year. So that will do it for Eric and me, but we will be back in early October with the next View from the Edge. Meanwhile, Steve Cucchiaro and I will be back next week with the latest edition of the Three Edge Weekend Review. If you'd like a hard copy of our full Three Edge View from the Edge newsletter for September, you'll find that on our website, and that's at 3edgeam.com. As a reminder, our entire library of video content is always available on our 3Edge YouTube channel. You can subscribe to our videos 
in, in order to keep up with our latest thinking about the global capital markets. And in addition, if you think someone else may benefit from these videos, please feel free to share them. You can do that by simply copying and sending the link to the Three Edge videos uh, in YouTube. So on behalf of Eric and everyone here at Three Edge, thanks for listening. This commentary is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy securities. The opinions expressed in View from the Edge are those of Mr. Foltz and Mr. Beagleisen and are subject to change without notice in reaction to shifting market conditions. This commentary is not intended to provide personal investment advice and does not take into account the unique investment objectives and financial situation of the listener. Investors should only seek investment advice from their financial advisor. The observations include information from sources that 3Edge believes to be reliable, but the accuracy of such information cannot be guaranteed. Investments, including common stocks, fixed income, commodities, and ETFs, all involve a risk of loss that investors should be prepared to bear.